All right, welcome to episode 164 of the Jesus Famous Podcast. As I always say, our podcast exists to see Jesus honored, glorified, loved, esteemed, appreciated, adored, revered, and followed. That's what Jesus Famous means to us, and we want to see that happen in your everyday life. I'm Nate Holdridge. I'll be hosting today's episode. I pastor Calvary Monterey on the central coast of California. I like to preach about Jesus Famous on Sundays and write and podcast about Jesus Famous during the week. So thanks for uh, joining us. Uh, We do lots of things on this show. Sometimes I'll interview people in the church, pastors in the church, um, talk about articles that I've written, you know, various things. But one thing that we do is we like to have interviews uh, with authors who have written uh, helpful books to uh, the church. And on today's episode, we're going to do just such a thing. We're going to be joined today by Dr. J.P. Moreland to discuss his recent book that came out this year, A Simple Guide to Experience Miracles, with the subtitle of Instruction and Inspiration for Living Supernaturally in Christ. Now, if you're not familiar with Dr. Moreland, he's a distinguished professor of philosophy at Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. He holds a master's in theology from the Dallas Theological Seminary a master's in philosophy from UC Riverside, and a PhD in philosophy from USC. And from what I understand, that's where he began to be mentored by and in friendship with the great philosopher and Christian Dallas Willard. And uh, Dr. Moreland has co-planted three churches, so he's a church guy. Mm. Uh, He's debated and spoken on over 175 college campuses around the world, so he's an evangelist, an outreach guy. And in 2016, was chosen by the best schools as one of the 50 most influential living philosophers in the world. So there's a sentence that will never be said about me. So that was really cool to find out. On top of all this, he's an easygoing guy to be around, full of laughter, and a man who, like I said, loves the local church. Uh, At the time of this recording, he actually was just with our fellowship here in Monterey, Calvary Monterey. answering questions about the Christian faith for our church and giving a lecture on forgiveness and guilt that was very insightful, impactful, and helpful. It was a great night, and we'll put a link to that lecture in the show notes of this episode if you'd like to also uh, listen to or watch that. So, Dr. Moreland, thanks for joining me today. Pastor Nate, it is so good to be with you, brother. It's just been like a dream to be able to get to know you a little bit and be exposed to your personality and and who you are. Thank you so much for coming. Well, I've had fun and I really enjoyed it. It's good being with you. So this last year, I got a chance to sit down and read your your book on Mm -hmm. a simple guide to experiencing miracles. And I thought I'd start out with a kind of a fun question Mm -hmm. because in the book you you actually catalog, I think it's, it's got to be over 50 miracles. Yeah, it's right around 50 or so yeah. that uh, miracles that I thoroughly vetted. And because I, I, I have a reputation of, of, of being a, a credible person, and I didn't want to put something in there that I had real questions. Did this really happen? Yeah. So, yeah, I, 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 I interviewed people. I called people who were eyewitnesses of these events. I knew some of them, yeah. So I, uh, about 50 very carefully miracle. So kind of a real like Dr. Luke kind of experience for you. Yeah, I like that. So 
uh, I'm assuming then that there were a lot that didn't make the cut. No, there are a lot that okay. didn't make the cut, yeah. So do you have a favorite? That's, that's so tough, but there's one that just moves me. And it's a story about uh, a, a woman who was terminally ill. This is uh, uh, many years ago. And we had a, a, a healing prayer room on Monday nights where people who needed prayer could come and a team of people of three or four would take a person to a room and just pray over them. Mm. And uh, so this, this, this woman was at a point where her doctors had given her chemo and radiation and she had 71 points of cancer thread, uh, spread throughout her body. Wow. Her body was ridden with cancer and she was all but dead she was dying and so the doctor uh committed to hospice care which means that this is a, mm -hmm. an attempt to comfort people because they are going to die and he gave up on treatment and she had a friend uh she was jewish and uh she had a friend that was a believer and said look what do you have to lose there's a church, uh, you know, a few miles away, and they pray for people on Monday nights. Why don't you go? And she's, and she's this woman named Mames. She said, well, okay. So she came to the prayer room, <clears throat> and a team uh, laid hands on her and, and prayed over her, and nothing happened. But she felt tremendously loved on and blessed because people are taught... You don't promise people healing. That's presumptuous. Yes. You promise that, that you'll do what you can to bless them and to love them mm. and see what God does. So she decided to come back the, the next week. And so she did three consecutive weeks. On the third week, when the team was praying over her, and I know uh, three of the people on the team, by her own testimony, she began to feel hot electricity hmm. start at her head and kind of start charging and make it's like liquid electricity all hmm. over her body. Hmm. And she felt something move throughout her body. And she said to the team, something's happening and I think I'm healed. Well, the team said, that's wonderful, but we'd like to have your doctor say that <laughs> and so she was no longer seeing this doctor but she called him and said listen i will pay out of pocket if you will do another scan for me so she was able to get that scheduled uh she was prayed for on a monday night later that week and she did the scan and the results were were there and the doctor came out and he, he, according to her, it was like his jaw was on the floor, and she said, and he was, he was really afraid, mm. because he said, "Listen, uh, uh, Mame, here, here are the, the 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 scans that we took before we we ceased your treatment, and these are your scans now, and I want you to look at the first one because we you look at that you had cancer." You can count the spots. So I know for a fact that that scan was a legitimate scan. Mm. But I don't know how to tell you this, but there's no, not, not only no cancer 
in your scan, there's no evidence you ever had cancer. Wow. And she looked at it. And see, the doctor was afraid she was going to sue him because he, she misdiagnosed the right, cancer. Right, right. She never had cancer. Yeah. But she knew she did, and, and, and she was miraculously healed. And so what she did is she gave her life to Jesus Christ. Wow. Because of that. Now, there's a sequel to the story, uh, Pastor Nate. Uh, about nine years later, I got a call from PBS. They were doing, going to do a documentary on miracles, and they were going to interview the top atheists in, in uh, Europe and America and some of the top Christian theists that believe in miracles, and I was going to be on the believe side. And I wanted to present her story. <clears throat> so I contacted a couple of the guys who told me about this. They're trustworthy guys. They're not looking for 15 minutes of fame. So I, I, I knew they were credible. But I said, give me your email if you have it. And they did. So I emailed her. And I said, listen, did, did, did the following really happen to you back in such and such year? And then I told her what I just finished telling mm -hmm. you and your audience. Mm -hmm. and, and I've got all the email exchange. She emailed me back and said, absolutely, everything that you said happened. And it was just like you told me. But she said, what, what, and I did give my life to Jesus, but what you don't know is that that was like nine years ago. It has never come back. And I am still walking with Jesus and attending a Messianic con congregation. Wow. Now, you tell me if that was a miracle. Wow. And I walk away from that, and I'm saying, you know what? what we, the God that we believe in is actually alive. Yeah. He's alive. Yeah. Oh, you explain that to me. If, yeah. it, you know, if you're an atheist, explain that. Hmm. I don't think there's a way that you can explain the miracles in my book without having to say there this biblical god is nothing to fool with he's he's there yeah and i want to get right with him <laughs> so yeah. anyway that's that's probably one of my favorites amen amen so then i can make highlights that are saved so i can search for them later yes, yes. because i just thought there are so many of these stories i would love to reference They're at some point in a they? sermon yeah, you know absolutely so one that i highlighted i love the story about the new christian woman from the a Buddhist community in Nepal whose goat had died and she was such a new Christian. Right. She just thought, well, Jesus raised from the dead. I might as well have the, the missionaries pray for my goat to come back to life. And it did. It did. And I just loved that. No. And yeah. it was right in front of all of her Buddhist friends. Wow. And, uh, I talked to the two missionaries that were there, uh, in person and said, JP, that, that goat, came back to life and all these buddhists they they cried out to jesus because she had mentioned and and, and they got saved wow <laughs> wow yeah that would that put the fear of god in you amen it? yeah amen so uh you know just thinking about who you are you know you're a philosopher yes, well. and you know, thinking about a subject like this, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who would think, well, even if he is a, a Christian, he's probably one of those people who is so highly intellectual. He doesn't want to be involved with the supernatural in any kind of way. So yes. that's what was really refreshing to me is that you were taking your intellectual giftings and using them to help us see 
right? The, the God that we're professing that we believe in, he's still working and moving. So what was the motivation for you in you saying, I want to put this pen to paper? Because it's really not like a lot of your other no, books. No, that, that's a really good question. Um, you, I think you pointed out when you introduced me that my heart has always been the heart of evangelism and disciple making, especially in the local church. And I just, I ended up winning a lot of people to Christ at a university campus, and then their professors were shredding them, and hmm. they were coming to me scared and wanting answers, and I didn't have them, and so I started doing my homework, and I began to realize that most of these questions came from a single field, and I'd majored in physical chemistry in college, and, it, and this field was philosophy, hmm. which I thought was psychology misspelled. I mean, I didn't know what it was, really. <laughs> But I began to read it and I said, this is really useful stuff. So I went on and long story short, I got my doctorate in philosophy, but it was so that my faith could be strengthened, but also so I could build the faith of other people and, and, and have them be courageous and confident that, that what we believe is not silly. Hmm. You can mock it all you want, but that's not a substitute for an argument against my beliefs. Hmm. If you got a good argument, give it to me. Mm-hmm. But I have not found any that have, that are sufficient to overturn what I know to be true from my thinking. Well, then, I'd, if God is real, then and I've concluded that he actually is, then he, it's going to be okay. We're going to be all right at the end of the day. We may, we may be martyred, we may suffer, but when everything's been said and done, it, we're going to look back and say, I'm glad I was born into this world. Mm. My life was worth it. Mm. And then we've got an incredible treat. If you've read anything about uh, life after death in the scriptures and then in some of the really credible near-death experiences that confirm mm-hmm. what the Word teaches, I mean, there, there's just no doubt about that. But I wanted to the church, for the church, uh, especially in, in, in the West, to, to, to become familiar with the fact that there really are miracles happening. And that, that we need to realize that the supernatural world is really there. There really are demons and angels. And that God is still performing miracles. Mm-hmm. Now, of course he doesn't. And I've got in the book, I think, something like 14 reasons why mm-hmm. God might not have answered a prayer or done something. And maybe not one particular one. All 14 will help, but maybe if you read the list... There'll be two or three that you'll say, you know what, I think that makes sense in my situation. I think this helps me understand why the Lord didn't heal so-and-so mm-hmm. or whatever. But he's still doing them. And I thought that the book would just build people's confidence to rely upon God. And even if God chooses not to, to grant a request, I'm still going to trust him because I, I can't explain this away. He's got, there's got to be somebody in the other line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's the main thing there. Well, mission accomplished, at least for me, because as, a, you know, kind of my upbringing in the church, uh, I had early exposure to the subject of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, and was an early adopter, yes. so to speak. Yes. You know, it was, I was 18 years old. I took a class on the Holy Spirit and his gifts. And the professor asked at one point, you know, would you like to be prayed for, for the 
gifts of the Spirit to come into your yes. life, whatever ones the Holy Spirit wants to give to you. And my main question was, is it free? Because I'm game <laughs> if it is, you know. And I, I kind of was off to the races since then, trying to figure out what my gifts are, how the Lord's wired me, what he's you know, supernaturally or by his Spirit empowered me to do. But because one of the gifts that he gave me was a gift of, of Bible teaching, um, I, you know, I leaned in hard to that. And I think yeah, some which might, is a good thing, which is great. Yeah. But some might even be surprised after, you know, being with me, listening to me teach that I'm a Holy spirit guy. Right. And so for me reading your book, it was a real refresher kind of bringing me back to these are all the things that I think. These are all the things that I believe. And you mentioned at one point the kind of the dead Bible church uh, and and how there's a lot of good that can come out oh, of them. Absolutely. But I just thought, but that's not what I want to be. I want to be the Bible church that's alive. You exactly. Know, that's full of the Spirit and expectant that the Lord would, would work and move even today. Well, it just it dawned on me. Why do I have to choose between the Word and the Spirit? What? Is there any reason I got to choose between, uh, between those two options? No. Well, I want to walk in both. Yeah. And the, the the scriptures are my authority. If I think the Spirit's telling me something that's contrary to Scripture, it's not the Spirit. Mm -hmm. But but the the Holy Spirit is empowering people and giving gifts, and that that's part of it. So I want to both end, and I don't know why I can't love God with my mind and try to think as a Christian as best I know how. And also be, be full of uh, trust and uh, willing to risk in his name and, uh, and pray for God to do different things. Why, can, why, why do I have to choose among those? Yeah. I just, life's too short, man. I, yeah. I want to have it all if I can. <laughs> I loved what you said about, uh, you talked about in the, the Western mentality and in the church, how I forget what percentage you put on it. It might have been different for different people, but you said something like, if it's around 65 or 70% that it seems as if the Lord is doing this thing, if you're a Westerner with the scientific you know, backdrop that we all have and the naturalism that we're all told right. rules right. That are exactly. the world, if you're at 65, 70%, go with it. That's right. I, I loved that advice. That, that was great. Well, and you know, you've taught the word very carefully for a long time and you know as well as I do that there you'll be studying a text and there will be two or three interpretations and you know what they're all pretty good mm -hmm. and you you may be leaning on I think this is the one that best handles the text but you can't rule out say another one so maybe you're 70 percent that this is this is the right way to understand it, but you're 30% the other way, but you go with the 70. And I, mm -hmm. it's the same thing with hearing God's voice. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be certain about it. If, if you are 60, 40 or whatever it might be, if it's an important decision, I'd be careful. And I'd, if I, I was only 60, 40, and I'd want to ask others what they thought about it and get some wisdom. Mm -hmm. But I've had experiences, Nate, where I've, I've been 60, 40, 65, 35, and I went ahead and acted on it, and, and the supernatural broke out, mm. literally broke out. Mm. But I wasn't 100%. Mm. Um, so, you know, 
I agree with that. Yeah, there was another part of yeah. the book where you said that you'll never be 100% about anything since <laughs> yeah. you're a philosopher. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so you you s sit down and you say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this book. I've had all these experiences, and you know, people have told me these different things, and you're you're a big uh, champion of the Jesus Video Project. So because of their newsletter, you've been privy oh, to yeah. so many reports of oh, yeah. things that God is doing yes. all over the world. Which it brought a funny story to my mind. Years ago, we had a an Indonesian young man come and live with us when I was a young when I was a teenager. His name was Victor, and the reason he was named Victor is because his father was an Indonesian missionary, pastor of pastors, and the projector that they used to show the Jesus video was made by the Victor Company. And so many people came to Christ, he named his son after the projector. Oh. <laughs> so you gotta it, love that projector, oh, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's in the family. Yeah, that's right. That's good. So you come to this point where you say, I gotta I gotta catalog these yes. somehow. Yeah. So what were some of the uh, metrics that you would use to say, this one's in the in bucket and this one's in the out bucket. This one is going in the book and this one, I can't certify it. What were you looking at well, to say? I was looking at, at two different approaches. I mean, if I could find medical documentation that, that, I, that I, I knew was there, then that would be a high in, help indicator for me. And some of the stories I cite are clearly documented medically and, uh, mm -hmm. and they're, I can share where you can get that documentation. But the other was to, to, to how we reason in a court of law, and that's on, the, on assessing the credibility of eyewitness testimony. Mm -hmm. And so I had a set of criteria about accounts that I heard uh, that I could follow to assess whether the, this witness was credible. So for example, um, several of the people whose stories I tell, I know them. I've known them for 15 years, by the time I wrote that book, 15 years or mm -hmm. so. And I know their character. And uh, some of the stories, I had two or three different people see what happened. Mm -hmm. And I interviewed them, and they all told me the same thing, interviewed them independently. And they're highly credible. I know that mm -hmm. about them. Plus, the, I, the word was around in the church uh, for people who were still around. They remember when that event took place. And so th those, were, those were very credible to me because mm. I knew the credibility of the witnesses. And I had two or three and then others confirmed as well. But then there were times when there was uh, one case where uh, there was a, a miracle that was from a woman uh, in a book on miracles that I was reading. And so uh, I called her, I, I was able to get her phone number. <laughs> and I called her and we had a long talk about what had happened and this had happened to her, this event had happened to her something like 30 years ago or mm. longer. And Nate, when I'm, I called her and said, you, excuse me, ma'am, you don't know me, but I, I, I'm writing a book on miracles, and I read about your, your angel story, and do you mind if I ask a couple of questions? And she came alive. Oh, my. 
she said, that was an incredible life-changing experience for me. I'd love to talk about it. Mm. And she was reliving it. I could feel it in her voice. Mm. And she went into details that weren't in the book. And so I was able to verify uh, through her testimony and my assessment of the lack of fabrication and, and uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for, embellishing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just, she was so emotional and almost brought to tears mm. because of God's grace to her. Mm. And you don't fake that, it's hard to. Yeah. Plus, I did some background research on the two guys who, who edited the Miracles book, and they're both really well-known, and one is a well-known uh, pastor and is very credible. Mm-hmm. And so th- those were ways that I tried to test these out. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And I, I loved how, because you, you really could have just kind of jumped into, you've, you've got five different categories of miracles that you catalog. Right. And... It, but rather than just jumping into those, you spent really the front third or so of the book kind of giving your reasoning for how you would um, I did. conclude. I did. And I really appreciated that. You even had an encouragement in there. Hey, push through this yeah, part. Right. It might be a little more academic. I'm going to put on my professor cap. Yeah, but. but it was important for people to know that I'm not just some guy in the mountains of Arkansas with a mimeograph machine cranking out miracle stories, you know? <laughs> yeah, I did Love my homework it. on Love it. That's it. right. So what is it about the Western uh, mentality? You know, what do you, what do you say to someone who just says, oh, come on, you know, the science has disproved Christianity. It's, it's disproved the miraculous um, or even, hey, if you're going to hold out something like miracles to me, the rules of evidence are thrown out the window. They got to be, the evidence has to be so much higher, you know, for, for miracles because they just don't go along with what we normally see happen. Yes. What, yes. what, what do you say? Well, th- th- those are great questions. I, I think uh, just taking them in, in some kind of order here, I think regarding uh science has disproved Christianity. Um, If the truth of the matter is that probably 95% of science has nothing to do with Christianity. Hmm. I mean, the the fact that a methane molecule has four hydrogen atoms instead of three is of utter disinterest to whether the Bible's true or Jesus was the son of God. It had nothing to do with each other, and most of science is like that. Now, the, I would say there's about 5% where there is an di- interaction, and, and I think 3% of that is in favor of the existence of God. Hmm. And the For example, we know the universe began to exist now, hmm. and things don't pop into existence out of nothing. So some transcendent being, meaning who is completely outside the universe and was timeless, had to be able to somehow speak or bring the world into existence by just a fiat hmm. choice uh the world is is got is so fine-tuned and delicately balanced so that life could could survive in the universe hmm. and the the probabilities of that are like filling texas a mile high with quarters and putting an x on one quarter and tossing it somewhere in the state of texas and finding it on the first 
you, in the helicopter, you drop down and you pick it. Well, that's not a very good odds. And the best way to explain the delicate balance is that there is a, the dice were rigged by a rigger. Yeah. And he created these to be what they needed to be so that life could live in this universe, other things like that. Okay. Now, now the problem, the, the main, almost all the problems with science turn out to be about the early chapters of Genesis. Hmm. They don't really touch on whether there's a God. They don't touch on whether the New Testament documents are historically reliable and Jesus rose from the dead. Hmm. They count against the inerrancy of the Bible or the, the, the credibility of those early testimony to Adam and Eve and the historicity of that narrative. I think there are answers to that, and I don't want to give them now, but the point I'm making is, even if we grant that all of that is, is allegorical and mythological, which I don't, I'm not willing to do that, but if for the right. sake of argument, I were willing to grant that, because the person is saying science has disproved Christianity, mm -hmm. I would say the rest of it has actually been in favor of Christianity. There's been all kinds of archaeological discoveries that have verified the mm. New Testament documents. Right. So I want to know where is science, please tell me, how has science disproved Christianity? I'd love to know where that is. Mm. You'll be waiting a long time to hear that answer. Now, uh, you have put your finger on the, the main objection that atheists bring. Because I, I have a buddy who debated as a New Testament scholar and he's full on with miracles. Craig Keener is his name. Mm. And he debated a, a, a secular New Testament scholar who doesn't believe in miracles. And they were debating about the historical reliability of the Gospels. And this, this guy admitted it and said, look, under normal standards of historical assessment, nobody in their right minds would disagree that the New Testament documents are way and above historically trustworthy. Hmm. So I'll grant you that, but there's a problem. They have miracles in them. Hmm. And uh, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Hmm. And so since there are extraordinary claims in, the, in, in say, the New Testament, you've got to have more than a, a regular amount of evidence. Way to illustrate this would be to say that if I went to the supermarket and I told you that I met my my buddy in the church there, and we visited a little bit before we came home, had a good time chatting, you, you'd believe me. But if I said, uh, on the way to the supermarket, I saw a flying spaghetti monster, <laughs> and he did a loop around Kroger's and, you know, and then landed. Well, that's an extraordinary claim, and you'd require a little bit extra evidence. Mm -hmm. That's the argument. Now, this has actually been decisively refuted. Okay. It has been decisively refuted by an atheist scholar named John Ehrman, who is a philosopher of physics, <clears throat> who shows that this argument is completely bogus. I won't go into all the reasons, but there's, there are a couple things I do want to say. Because it's not true that extraordinary claims require extraordinary mm -hmm. evidence. That's not true. Here's one reason why. There are a lot of things that we know that if we accepted that principle, that extraordinary claims require extraordinary uh, reasons, we wouldn't know, mm. but we do know them. Mm. Now let me give you an example. Suppose that there's a news program, let's say your local CBS station, and you've watched them for 15 years, and they're, they're doggone reliable. 
And there's an anchor uh, or, or in the field reporter there that you really like, and when she gives a report, she really, you've been impressed with the way she does her homework and really assesses the facts, and you found her a trustworthy journalist. And she reports one night on the news that out of, uh, you know, 200 million people who put tickets in for the lottery, uh, Joe Smith at such and such address won the lottery. Mm -hmm. Now, <clears throat> That claim is so astronomically ridiculous that it is an extraordinary claim that Joe Smith at this address won the lottery. I mean, if somebody had predicted that before the lottery ticket was drawn, nobody would think that it was a fair draw. Mm -hmm. It was rigged because that is so outlandishly unlikely to be true. Mm -hmm. Now remember, that's different than saying somebody or other won the lottery. Right. Because there, you're probably 80% somebody's gonna win it. Mm -hmm. But that that particular guy won it, that is an extraordinary claim. Now, you've got to have, do you, do you, but, but we believe it. Mm -hmm. We don't require extraordinary evidence. And, and the reason is because we recognize the trustworthiness of the news program mm -hmm. and we rely on that. And so here's, here's the issue. What you have to do is to decide the likelihood that this event happened given this pool of evidence versus the fact that we have this pool of evidence but the event didn't happen. Hmm. And in many cases, uh, believing that we would have all this evidence but the event didn't happen is stupid. It's crazy. And I would say with that lady who reports it on the news, that there's pretty good evidence that they're not going to rest their reputation and come out with a lie. And even though this is an extraordinary claim, it makes more sense to believe that the event did happen than that she's all this evidence for it, and it really didn't. Mm. So... Um, that same thing with a miracle story. Uh, uh, if, if there are people who saw it and are credible witnesses and testify to it, you've got to ask yourself the question, what's the likelihood that this event happened and these people are testimonies true versus them testifying to all this and it didn't happen? Mm -hmm. Because if you know them, they're not the kind of people that make stuff up. Mm. They're reliable. So you don't need extraordinary evidence, you just need good witnesses. Mm. And that's the point of that. And I think the second thing I would say against that type of objection is, and this is what I would have said to that scholar mm -hmm. who, who, I, who said, well, you know, the problem is the New Testament's got miracles in it. I'd say, well, you know, dude, you need to be, you're hanging around with the wrong people. You're hanging around people like you who don't believe in the supernatural. What you need is to get around people who've seen it and have it happened. And what I'm saying is there are reports from credible missionary organizations that there has been an explosion of miracles since 1970 worldwide. And I'm telling you, there, it, it, 20 years ago, a ministry was lucky, lucky to get two Muslims converted in a year, and now they're seeing 50,000 and they're all saying Jesus or an angel appeared to them. And there's stories in my book about yeah. this sort of thing. So the claim that miracles are so rare is just nonsense. 
I go into churches, Nate, and I will say, how many of you have ever had what you, you know was an answer to prayer and it wasn't a coincidence? Raise your hand. 80% of the people, mm-hmm. okay? How many of you either have seen someone healed by prayer or you know, you're only one step removed, you know a close friend who saw it and you, you know they're credible? Mm. 65%. How many of you have had God speak to you or guide you in a direction that turned out to be the right way to go? Oh, mm. 70%. Well, what, give me a break. And, I've actu- and there are a lot of people who have actually seen angels or demons or experienced mm. them. But they don't share about it because they're maybe embarrassed or they don't want to act like they're bragging. But they're happening Mm. in our churches. So it's just false to say that these things aren't going on. They're going on all over the place. We just don't tend to talk about Mm. it. I love that. Yeah. When I was 16 years old, I wasn't doing so hot with the Lord. And I got in a big car accident here locally. I was driving a 1969 Volkswagen Bug, and oh, those I, were yeah. death traps. I <laughs> my, wrapped myself around a tree. There was somebody at a stoplight who saw it, but it was an otherwise abandoned kind of road or environment, and they just so happened to have a cell phone. This was back in '94, so not everybody really? had one. So they called 911. The fire department wasn't that far away, but. As I was down there at the bottom of this ravine, there was this man who came in. I was in incredible pain. They had to use the jaws of life to get me out. No you way. Know, all that kind of stuff ended up breaking a, or fracturing a lumbar in my lower spine. But I was in a lot of pain because my seatbelt was clicked in on the left side of my hip. So it had wrapped all the way around me. And oh. I, was, I was basically sitting in the passenger seat, um, but still buckled in. That's what had, you know, broken my back. And a man came who was wearing a red flannel shirt and he uh, came in through my passenger side window and he cut my seatbelt off for me to relieve the pressure and he comforted me, just kind of calmed me down and was with me until the paramedics arrived and then they took it from there. And nobody saw that man (laughs) and you know I wasn't like I said doing that well with the Lord but I had a sense something happened here oh there's no question in my mind spared my life yeah and this was I don't whether it was my guardian angel or some other type of being you know that God used to comfort me and encourage me and protect me from what should have been death well, that's a miracle. And in my chapter on demons and angels, I list stories just like this that I, ver- I verified, where it exactly like this, someone showed up and did something. And then when other people came, they, nobody saw him. Le- yeah. Where is he? Yeah. And it was a, you, often a guy wearing just a T-shirt or, <laughs> or you know. No wings, just, no yeah, halo. nothing like yeah. that. And I, I've got stories like that in there. But the, your, your story fits a pattern. Yeah. of events other people have experienced and yeah. there's a good reason to think it really was an angel yeah dude that's an extra that's an extraordinary yeah. story yeah. so a question i have then and i think a lot of people struggle with this yes. is okay I, I i'm with you i'm i'm a believer I, I i believe in god i believe the gospel i believe that the lord can do this kind of thing yes. uh, that he has this kind of power and I look to the cross, I believe that he's 
incredibly loving that he God is love uh, and it seems like it would be so beneficial for him to just be popping off miracles left and right to right. kind of make himself known to right people who don't believe in him so as much as you know here in the book you've cataloged that God is doing all right. these wonderful things right. and you're highlighting missions stories of you know an increase in the miraculous that we don't often think about or see just in our Western culture. Right. Why is it though that why, why doesn't God do more? Why, yeah. why, why, why aren't we question. seeing more of the miraculous? Right. Wouldn't it be advantageous? Yes. Yeah, so I, I yeah. get it. And there are times when it, it just looks like it would be in God's best interest to show up and heal this person. <laughs> and he doesn't. Those are the those are the hardest questions, and like I said, I've got a list of reasons that that I think help. But yeah. there, there are th there are things like Jesus was not able to do certain miracles in Nazareth because of their unbelief, mm -hmm. and I think that in our culture there is such a a hardened hardening of a naturalist understanding of reality that science really is the only guide and everything else is faith that that is crept without us knowing it into the believer's heart and so it it kind of tends to weaken our faith uh with not intentionally so i think there is kind of a default kind of skepticism mm -hmm. and i think that that can tend i mean one reason is that there's just not there's not a faith and a trust in yeah. god to do it so yeah. that's one reason yeah. but it's not always that way Another could be that the timing's wrong, mm -hmm. and God wants to do something later, but He hasn't finished His work for, by not, that He wants to happen by you staying in the situation. Yeah. Let me give you an example. My son-in-law, <clears throat> uh, after my daughter and he were, you know, married for four or five years, he got a job, a, a good job, at, at, a, at a technology firm. And he was there for six months, and he began to realize that this manager was the manager from hell. She mm. was terrible. She demeaned him. She she ridiculed him. She she mocked the work that he did. He was doing a good job. Mm. And there were two other people in the office that left because she was so hard to get along with. Mm. He dreaded going to work. He hated mm. it because he knew what he was going to be facing. It was a toxic work environment, we prayed and, 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 and besought the Lord, Lord, please either take her away or get him a new job, and nothing happened, nothing. Mm. And so he suffered for, for over a year, 14 months or so. One day, my daughter Ashley, her, his wife, ran across a friend and, and he was talking about a new company started and and she said what kind is it and he said well it's a technology company and we need some guys who can do a b and c there and she said well my husband has been doing that for two years or whatever it was at such and such a company would you be willing to let him interview oh absolutely he got the job but here's why because there were a bunch of people that applied for it they told him the reason you got it is because you'd already accumulated over two years of experience doing the very thing we needed you to do. Mm. 
And had he not stayed with that job, and if God had answered that prayer, he would not have gotten the job. Mm. That ended up being a tremendous opportunity. Mm. Love going to work mm. and all the rest of it. So sometimes it's the timing yeah. matter. Sometimes it has to do with uh, the person not really wanting to get healed. Mm. They've learned that their disease is working for them in a subtle kind of way. They get a lot of pity and a lot of uh, uh, respect for, mm -hmm. for the hardships they're enduring. And so I don't think any one of these is necessarily present in any case. But if you add the 14 up, there is there are some good reasons why it may be that God didn't show up and doesn't show up more often. Mm -hmm. I, I would say the following, that, that it is true that God is, is, is showing up in astronomical ways in cultures that have not inherited this kind of default skepticism. Yeah. And they have a faith, they, they know the supernatural world is real. Yeah. And there seems to be more of an easy breakthrough there. Yeah. Fascinating. I, I don't know how to explain yeah. that other than what I've said. Yeah. But it just is, it's a fact. Yeah. And, uh, uh, but I, I wish, I wonder sometimes, Lord, you know, what's the deal up there? But I get, eventually I've got to trust and say, well, if he thought that this would work and it wouldn't be coercive, he'd be doing it. Yeah. But it might be too coercive to people who just are, are it's casting a probe force wine. They, yeah. they aren't going to respond. Well, I, I loved the 14, uh, things that you pointed out because for me as a pastor at least uh, they helped kind of release me a little bit from the binary way that it's often framed oh. that okay it's either that the person didn't have enough faith right. or that there's a God problem either he doesn't care enough or he's right. not powerful enough or, right. he, or he just doesn't even exist in exactly. the first place it was so nice to lift it out yes, of those absolutely. being the only two options. So you just for all of you who are listening, I just drew up the 14. One would be lack of faith. Two, God is using the problem for redemptive suffering. Three, a false value is attributed to the suffering that comes from sickness. Right. Four, sin is connected to the sickness, and that needs to be dealt with first. Five, we're not praying specifically enough. Six, there's a faulty diagnosis. I love that one. Seven, there's a refusal to seek medical help. That's one of the ways God heals. Eight, healing does not typically violate natural health practices. So you've got to be a healthy person. And Well, I mean, if a person's eating terrible food and they're <laughs> 80 pounds overweight yeah. and you ask God to help you to heal your the heart, disease that you got because you're overweight i mean he'll do, he does that sometimes sure but generally speaking you're gonna have to clean your act up yeah. so anyway there's that's a natural the way yeah, that the exactly healing can come. yeah exactly a nine the timing may not be right which you alluded to 10 god may want to use a different or larger group of people 11 there's demonic interference 12 a church environment of legalism lukewarmness or dubiousness toward healing prayer exists 13 the person does not really want to be healed jesus asked that question at times do you want he did. to be healed and then 14 some things remain a divine mystery and Amen. i love that yeah we have to put that in that you bet. bucket from time to time well dr moreland maybe a question or two more for you before we wrap it up sure. 
today. Um, I think a, a question I would love to ask, and you do talk about this a little bit in your book, is um, what are some ways that, you know, if a believer is saying, okay, I, I'm in, you know, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't think I need to be walking around as if like there's going to be a miracle every five minutes, but, but I want to be expectant. I want to be, I have my hands open and I want to be led by the Lord. I'd love for him to guide me in his word and use my life. Um, what are some ways that we can yes. increase our expectation? Great question. Uh, one thing not to do is to just get it out and try to will yourself to have more faith. Mm-hmm. That just never works. Yeah. Uh, the, a better way is to begin a process and to start doing a few things. And essentially what I'm going to say is exposing yourself to the supernatural events that are happening. Now, here's how to do that. Number one, when you, when you go to, your, to church or to your Sunday school class or if you have a small group of friends that meet and study the Word together, whatever, start asking questions and, and say, you know, do you, if you, would, you, would you ladies mind if I... If I asked, have any of you seen what you would consider to be a genuine intervention by God in the last six months in your life? An answer to prayer, a divine healing, a time when the Lord spoke to you in some way or other? Did you sense the presence of a dark spirit or an angelic spirit? Or did you or someone you know have a near-death experience? So start asking those questions mm. because you'll be surprised at what you'll hear. Mm. I, I recommend that in the book, Nate, and I, I actually had a woman email me. I don't know how she got my email. But she, she was uh, in, in a word-only church, and it was a great church. She was growing from it. And remember, I'm not saying anything bad about those. I love those churches. They nurtured me. But, but she read this, and so she decided she was kind of leading a little Bible study with about eight to ten people in it. So she did this. And she said the study, which usually lasts about an hour, it went three hours because people started telling their stories. She wow. said by the time around three hours was over, everybody spontaneously started weeping, and they got on their knees mm. and started praising God for all the things he'd been he had done in people's mm. lives that were clearly miracles and everybody there knew it, mm. but they hadn't shared it. Mm. Because again, people are, don't want people to think that you're kooky or that you're bragging about. So we tend to be, you know, we don't tend to share those. Yeah. Start asking people in a non-invasive way, say, you know, is there anything you've seen? <clears throat> and you'll be, you are gonna hear some stories that are gonna encourage your faith. So that, yeah. that's number one. Number two, I would subscribe to the Jesus Film newsletter. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Jesus Film is, is, is sharing the, the movie Jesus all over the world. And uh, we gave a little money to it. It didn't have to be a lot, but so we get the newsletter every two weeks, and we've been doing that for 10 years now. And it reads like Acts 29, uh, wow. uh, the, an additional chapter. What this, these te- teams are seeing is utterly supernatural Mm. and these people are not making these things up because they're giving their lives with hardship to share the gospel the third thing i would do 
would be to to read credible books that have stories of this kind. And in my book, uh, I have vetted books on different on all these five different mm -hmm. kinds of miracles that I trust. And those would be good ones to read, yeah. to keep your head in the supernatural. The final thing is that, that faith and expectation tend to be strengthened by, by the presence of the group that you're in. And so if, if, if your church could have a testimony once a month, let's say, where, a, where, where it was somebody vetted it, you know, one mm -hmm. of the pastors vets it, and you just say, if anybody's ever, you know, in the last six months or so has seen one of these five things, go to pastor so-and-so and tell him, and would you be willing to share your story? Mm. And maybe once a month, just have a five-minute miracle testimony about something that God has done and, and see how it encourages people's expectations. That's good. I really believe it will. Mm. I've seen it with my own eyes. Mm -hmm. Somebody that everybody knows, that's Joe, you know. I mean, good Lord, that happened to him? <laughs> and it sure happened to me. <laughs> so, th so those would be some, some ways. And I've got a whole series of other things. I'm not trying to sell the book, The Simple Guide to Experience Miracles, but I'm saying there are sources in there that could keep yeah. people on the chase. By the way, there's sources in there on how to learn to pray for the sick mm. and get and, and, and improve on that and how to deal with demonic presences. Mm. You know, you can become informed if you know the right credible things to read and not kooky things. Yeah. And uh, so that those are things you can do. Yeah, I really appreciate that. It was a very practical yeah. read. Oh, that, good, that part good. about how to pray for the sick, that was, that was excellent. A good. good little class for those that yeah. are involved in that yeah, exactly. type of ministry, for yeah, sure. You bet. Well, Dr. Moreland, I want to give you a chance to give us one last closing exhortation, but I'll let you collect your thoughts for a minute. I know you're not trying to sell the book, but I do want to encourage those of you listening this to this to consider uh, either going to the library, picking up a copy, or buying a copy for yourself to pour through, I think you'll be greatly edified and encouraged by it. And I haven't mentioned up to this point why I read this book or why I wanted to talk to Dr. Moreland about this once I realized I might have the opportunity to do so if I chose. I mean, I could have probably, knowing that he was coming into town, chosen any of the books in his back catalog, read it, made some notations on it, and I'm sure he would have been willing to talk about it. For me, pastorally, the reason that I wanted to put this out for our church and on this podcast, it really isn't because I anticipate some change in the way that I conduct or do ministry. It's not that I'm looking for the miraculous to take the center stage. Right. We've been a very word-based congregation for so many years, and as long as I'm the pastor here, that's not going to change. I don't foresee that changing ever. Uh, but for me, um, I care so much about the next generation. And I think for a lot of them, they're looking into the pages of Scripture and they, they want to have true and real encounters with the living God. They, they do have deep 
philosophical, intellectual questions about Christianity, but they also have very practical questions about Amen. Christianity. Is is God going to work in my life? Even if I'm intellectually convinced about exactly. all this. It's not enough. Is, does it have any benefit to me? Absolutely. And of course there's the gospel. That is our great benefit. But an outflow of the gospel is some of the beautiful things that God just does in our daily lives because he loves us. So I hope this read is a real encouragement to all of you who might take Amen. the time to check it Amen. out. So Dr. Moreland, a closing word for us. It doesn't have to be about this subject. It could be on anything that's on your heart. For well, my church. friend, I think I want to say to my dear brothers and sisters that there's never been a time in the history of our country when we're in a greater struggle of good against evil. And the only hope is the church of the Lord Jesus. That's the only hope. And I want you to know that the God of the Bible is actually real. He really is. This is not a fairy tale. This is something you can know is real and count on. And God is working with us as co-laborers to push back against darkness and we have to remain faithful and rely upon his spirit and his word to get this job done. And it's not gonna happen any other way. Amen. Thank you, JP. Thanks for being on the show and God bless all of you who listen today. <laughs>